Recently, the In Good Faith team worked with Elizabeth Clark and Sherry Rogdi from the BYU Law School to create two panels for the annual Religious Freedom Review. We invited podcast hosts from Americanish, Three Black Men, and Mommying While Muslim to join us at the conference and talk about how podcasting creates religious community. What you'll hear next is Heather's panel she moderated for the afternoon of the review. We've cleaned the audio up a bit and removed some of the bumps and clangs of the microphone in a live situation, but otherwise we've avoided editing to preserve the nature of the experience. Thanks to Adela Kohab, Trey Ferguson, Sam Gay, Robert Monson, Uzma Jaffrey, and Zeba Hassan for participating in the conference. Thanks to Chris Garcia and Blythe Shoup for coordinating sound. We're into everything, uh, but we'll get started right now. I'm Heather Bigley. I'm senior producer for uh, In Good Faith, which is a podcast from BYU Radio. And we talk to people of all faith traditions on all walks about their uh, experiences with God. Um, and so we'd love for you to check us out. You can hear us um, if you're in the Valley. You can hear us on the radio station um, on Sundays. Um, but we also are on all the podcast platforms. Anywhere you get a podcast, we're there. Look for us. Our host is Steve Capperi. He's there in the back. Um, so today um, I have with me three guests. Um, was anyone in the morning session? Okay. Yay. So Welcome this back. is, yeah, this is the the rest of the podcast crews um, <laughs> to talk about some of the same questions and sort of their answers to those questions. Um, but we do have a few others that um, we thought about and we sort of brainstormed for you. Um, to keep it interesting. So I'm going to start with Samuel Gay um, of Three Black Men. He's a writer, theologian, and um, has been a dedicated youth pastor and musician. Um, he holds a BA in D digital cinematography from Full Sail University and an AA in biblical studies from Reformation Bible College. Uh, and then we have Zeba Hassan mommy, from Mommying While Muslim. Um, she's an American Muslim born and raised in Chicago. Um, and as you just heard, she grew up biracial and bicultural, um, Irish Pakistani heritage and interfaith. Um, upbringing gave her a head start navigating between identities. She has a degree in political science and communication. Um, and uh, this has shaped her outlook on issues like race, immigration, and nationalism, as well as her parenting philosophy, which is geared towards raising compassionate, responsible global citizens. Um, so she's incredibly uh, busy. She podcasts, she public speaks, she is involved in the interfaith community, um, and she also works uh, as a parent coach at Emerge Consulting Solutions. And um, she has four children with her husband, and they love sports. Yes, all my yes. kids are athletes. <laughs> yes. They were in basketball training and fighting, apparently, as I was walking in here. And I'm like, I can't, I'm not at home. So. Okay. Um, and then we have Robert Monson, also from Three Black Men, who is a writer, musician, creative, avid reader, and theologian who does work around the intersection of black liberation and womanist theology. He's a graduate of United Theological sorry about that, United Theological Seminary, and is currently working towards a PhD at the University of Denver. Um, he also has a, an additional podcast, Black Coffee and Theology, and he is a co-director of the organization In Flesh, which seeks to bring about thought around liberation for all. So um, if you weren't in this morning's uh, session, we are very, very much interested in how podcasting 
develops religious community in America, um, often because uh, we what we see from um, recent studies is that people are right. Um, see themselves as religious or as spiritual, but are not necessarily connecting to institutions in the way they had been. And yet now we have podcasting that allows people to connect to these religious uh, experiences, religious uh, thought, religious um, discussion in a way they might not have been able to before. Um, one of the questions we actually want to get into is everybody, these podcasters were invited to speak at a religious freedom law <laughs> conference and Somehow that made sense to them. And so we want to talk about, one of the things we want to talk about is why would that make sense? Um, and we have reasons we invited them and thought a, a panel would make sense. But I, we want to hear from them why they thought it would make sense to show up. Um, the other thing we want to uh, broach is this idea that... Um, uh, we're also talking to podcasters who come from ethnic and racial minorities, right? And in this way, they are also um, creating community. Um, so even within Christian or Muslim or Jewish um, communities, they may be seen as minorities themselves. So how, what are they doing and how does that impact their podcasting and why would that be important to um, who their audience is and how they're approaching this mission? Um, some of them have talked about it as a mission. So we'll get... Um, We'll get started. We talked in the earlier session about what need um, that these podcasters saw when they began podcasting. What need did they want to fill or what problem did they see that needed to be solved? Um, but we also want to continue that discussion. So they got started. Why do they keep doing it? And what do they see that motivates them to keep um, doing this? So we'll start with Sam. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right on. Sam, what do you think? Um, so as far as uh, what need, I don't know that I necessarily chose to want to do a podcast out of an, a need, right? Um, our podcast, if you were here before, you heard it was birthed out of a friendship, a brotherhood, um, just the need for a community, right, within myself. Uh, so if the, I guess if there was really a need that started it, it would be like the need for community, um, within my own self that I found within um, my co-hosts. Uh, and really, that's really what's keeping it going. Our community has grown um, to several supporters via Patreon or, or, or in different ways. Um, I've grown spiritually. I've grown theologically. I've grown as a dad. I've grown as a husband. I've grown in so many different ways. And those are really just, um, they sound really selfish, but we being our first, our our, our primary uh, target target audience, like that for me, is is really why I would I'll keep one. I want to keep doing it. Um, I found community. Other people are finding community, uh, and it's not something. It's grown organically. It's not something that we've had to force. It's not something that has been. I mean, there's been learning curves, right? There's been things that we've had to go back to the drawing board and readjust, but. It's all been a labor of love in a sense to where we love one another, but also that love overflows into other avenues, into other uh, mediums. Yeah. So Zeba, we, we heard um, and you've talked about uh, people weren't asking certain kinds of questions. Right. And that sort of was the impetus for the podcast. What, what keeps you guys going? 
My son just, my oldest, just finished his first year in college. And I tell this story and I'm gonna try not to cry. On the printer one day, I saw it and I was like, oh, I picked it up. The first line of his common app essay was, I grew up in the shadow of the fallen towers. And this is a kid who's all district basketball player, MVP, team captain, 4.6 GPA, I think 1520 on the SATs the first time he took it. And I'm reading this essay and I'm thinking, if something like this is happening and he feels this way, what hope does any other child in that same situation has? And what made me sad is I literally do this for a living where I talk and create communication between parents and children. And I was so sad that he didn't come to me to talk about this particular issue. And then we talked about it and he was like, you know, there'd be times where we'd be in rural Virginia and people would call him Tara. I mean, my last name is a very Muslim, it's probably the most Muslim last name you can possibly have. And I grew up white passing. Uh, and if you're in the DNI space, um, it's something where you, you can pass. And quite frankly, I had a different life experience than some of my children do. And I felt like I failed him as a parent because here I was looking for answers to help other mothers and I couldn't do that for my own child. And so why we continue to do it, like Uzma had mentioned, there, the need is still there, sadly. And as a religious community, regardless of what your faith base is, we're losing, we're losing the youth. And if you don't see youth in your places of worship, where is the future in that? And so part of what we do as Mommy and Wall Muslim, of course, we're tackling really tough issues, but is to provide a platform for other mothers that are going through similar things and, and how to create a safe space for them to talk and to help find them the resources, because we're just the talking heads but we do the work in finding the resources and connecting people to that. So why are we doing this? Because we have that one kid that Uzma had mentioned this morning that says, you know, I think I'm gay. I don't know how to talk to my parents about this. Later on writes us and says, thank you so much for pro providing this resource. We weren't in it for fame or, I mean, cause trust me, we're still putting our money into the podcast. So we're not doing it for money, okay? Um, but we're doing it because that one kid, we made a difference in his life or that one mom that will reach out and said, I literally was sitting on the floor of my bedroom and I felt so alone. And then I listened to what you guys had to say. Um, like Osma mentioned, it's God's work. We feel like it's God's work. And that is why we continue to do what we're doing um, on the podcast. Wow, thank you. Robert. Yeah, I I think the first thing I think about in the why we're doing it, why we're continuing to do it, is simply because, one, our friendship continues to evolve and grow, and so we are still having conversations. And I think, for me, I will stop doing this podcast one, when I stop being authentic, when our conversations dry up, when there's no longer a friendship there. And then I think 
When I surveyed the podcast landscape originally, when we started this podcast, there, when you put Christian podcasts or faith podcasts, number one, all of the resources that come up are white. Yes. And um, the, I, there was one black faith podcast when we started, and I wanted to continue conversations about God, about faith in ways that were a lot more expansive than I was hearing. And when you hear the word Christian, Trey alluded to this earlier, you might think a lot of different things when you hear Christian. And um, I just wanted to continue expansive conversations. That that was my personal motivation. And then I think of this Chance the Rapper line, um, shout out to Chance, where he says, I speak to God in pu public. And I wanted to talk about my fears, my wrestles, my thoughts about God, not my certain certainties. I wanted to show what does it look like for a black man to wrestle with God out loud. So in a lot of the conversations, we were alluding to this earlier, you will hear me crying on oh, uh, the I'm majority. The yeah, yeah. I'm like yeah. you will hear me crying and it's a real wrestle. Like there are real things that we are wrestling through. In some of those conversations, we are having arguments in real time with one another. Um, so that speaking to God in public is ugly. It's messy. But I wanted to give a different face to what can Christianity be when it's raw and it's real uh, in America. Well, this is a related question, which is um, you three black men started during the pandemic. Did you start during the pandemic or before? 2018. 2018. We're on our okay. season. But we know that a lot of podcasts started uh, during the pandemic. I was telling them in 2020, I was trying to find a microphone. And there were no and microphones were That's true. to be bought. I looked everywhere. Uh, and I said to myself, well, everyone's a podcaster now. Aren't Literally, you? yes. Um, but that happened. Um, a lot of those podcasts have not continued. So I guess the question here is, additionally, um, what you podcasted during the pandemic, you're podcasting after the pandemic. How have things changed? Um, you've already talked about why you kept going, but how have things changed and, and why does that matter? I can go first. Yeah, go I, I think, you know, it's already here. <laughs> I, I think the pandemic has afforded us this unique opportunity to think about how we create digital space, how we create home, how we create meaning for one another, right? And I think there was a real hunger in 2020 and 2021 for things to fill our time when we're on lockdown. And I think there was a surge in people podcasting, right? And there was a surge in people listening, probably out of sheer boredom, too. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that's waning. But what I can say is carrying over is this uh, the pandemic opened up this rift where we re where people realized they were not connecting to real people in real time. People also felt their ignorance being exposed during the pandemic. Uh, their ignorance of other cultures, their ignorance of violence and oppression. A lot of people were told me, I had white, even colleagues tell me, I didn't know that black people still had, were undergoing racism, which is wild, but people were like, oh my God, it's, it's fresh for me. And so I think that that is continuing, like continuing that conversation. Uh, some people are bored with some of those conversations. Um, but 
we still are minorities in mm. this world and we are still having those conversations. So that's what I would say. What do you think, Sam? What would you add to that? Um, I don't think, uh, I mean, so we've had to make adjustments with like um, our schedules and how we podcast. So we've had to be more strategic as far as that uh, on the business side of things. Yeah. But uh, I think as far as podcasting is concerned for us, it's really been business as usual. Um, we, I, I think we found more so now that the pandi- pandemic is over instead of like a mass influx of people, it's like typically like a cycle of, of new people, oh, yeah. normal, you know, normal listeners, new people, you know, so it goes in cycles. So I think there's sort of that adjustment on the business side, but um, as far as us con- creating content, um, recording our podcast, it's it's really kind of been business as usual. We we have plenty to, plenty of uh, content, you know, plenty of topics to, to pull from, uh, just from you know the three different walks of life that we have. Um, there's always a new book mm-hmm. <laughs> or something coming out. Like Rob, Rob is a book junkie, so he's always got something good. He's like, hey, y'all got to check this out. Uh, so there's always there's always something we're always searching and investing in ourselves and each other um, so that we can have fresh things to talk about, whether it be uh, like Tracy early in Kanto or mm-hmm. um, whether it be like, you know, what what's uh a quote from a book, right, that we recently read and how that impacts us and how we see God. Um, so, yeah, I think it's that's pretty much what I would add. Well, Zabo, you said that you started in 2018. So tell us what was it like during the pandemic? Things changed and then coming out of it. So what changed was my kids were in the background <laughs> and I was homeschooling <laughs> and running my business and podcasting and having teenagers walk because we video record not knowing we're live or streaming and walking in the room in his underwear asking me where his sweatshirt is. So yeah, that's how that changed. Um, so you just said, you business earlier, as usual. You said earlier you have no sense of humor. <laughs> I mean, I'm just explaining my, the chaos of my life. Um, and you multiply, so between us and we have eight kids between us, right? So between the two of us and we're homeschooled and, and we both at that time before the pandemic, she unschools and I homeschooled my younger two kids, we're already chaotic. So um, as moms, we have to compartmentalize. I mean, I think that we just have to do that. Like, that's how we survive. I, actually, I would I would argue and say even further, women have to compartmentalize because we, we are carrying the intersectionality of so many different roles, right? So we'll just start off by saying that. So I'm not going to just relegate that to mothers. Um, but then you add the kids, um, their emotional stress, because um, we're taking that on. Um, and dealing with that. But as far as business as usual, we were business as usual as well because we've always recorded remotely. Um, And our topics stayed very much the same, but the chaos surrounding us, um, I almost divorced my husband at the time, true story, Um, because then he's working from home and, and, and for, for full disclosure, I've been with him, we'll be married for 24 years next year, next month, and we've been together for 25. So we are strong, but the sound of his voice and the chewing from the other room was driving me crazy. And normally I am a super calm, I'm the, yo- I'm the yogi, I'm the, I meditate every morning, and I 
was a freaking hot mess. And that, I think, came out a little bit in, in my podcasting. Um, and then I had to go on my own. Um, I had to reset because we as humans have to reset a lot. Um, and I reset during that time. And I went on another spiritual journey, um, which I think a lot of people during COVID did. You, you kind of had to refocus, re-energize. And I had to realize that life wasn't happening to me. This was happening for me. And we can take blessings in even the worst of situations. And then I had to change and flip that narrative. And I think in doing that, our content um, got a little bit better. I was, wasn't as mad at me because I wasn't as angry and aggressive because normally that's not my personality type. But I do think COVID in general, and honestly, as a mother of older kids, COVID is still impacting our children. They're still impacting our youth. And um, if we can keep bringing good content to people, COVID or not, we're going to keep trying to do that. Well, let's go to that question I asked. Um, we're at this Religious Freedom Law Review. Why did that make sense to you guys um, when you saw the invitation? So, um, so I'll say we that, thought yeah. it was um, we thought it was like fake. We were like, why do these people Literally keep contacting you, contacting <laughs> us? No, we don't want to do that. Um, but then we stopped. Um, and the reality of the situation for us is. We do get asked by a lot of interfaith, because um, we are of a different faith. So we do get asked to speak on a lot of interfaith um, institutions. Uh, and we and we love and we enjoy doing that. Both of us do interfaith work. So we love it and we enjoy doing that. But why are we doing this here today? Honestly, our for us is, is the gathering of allies, right? So, and we're mothers. And how we um, connect with other, most of our audience is 50-50, Muslim and non-Muslim. How we connect with the non-Muslims is they see that universality of what parenthood and motherhood does for us as a community. And we, we are facing the same challenge. Like my 12-year-old is turning 13 and he's be going into that really annoying phase and all of us are like on edge with him. All of us go through some of those universe. It doesn't matter what your faith is. So for us coming here and, and being able to talk to you guys and be like, we are more alike than we're different. And can we have the allies? Um, because we're going to, when we can't do the work, we're going to need your help to help, help finish it. And that's ultimately why um, Usman and I choose to go to these interfaith councils is to kind of gather resources for our community. And if we're the people to do that, we're going to do that. Well, and I'm interested, I mean, your most recent series is on gun control mm -hmm. um, and sort of approaching that as a faith, uh, as people of faith. Yes. And here we are at a place where we talk about law. Yes. Um, is that something that's of interest of you in shaping and changing law? Yeah from all kinds of approaches. Um, American children are killed more by gun violence in this country than anything else. And I was one of those moms, and I openly said that, that I was like, I'm more interested in Islamophobia and helping with Muslims and da 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 And my son was at UVA during the lockdown, and he heard the shots of the, the three football players as he was walking back to campus. And he called us, and honestly, the his roommate was in lockdown under the gym, couldn't find him. He was freaking out. We didn't know how to get to him. And honestly, it was the first time that something like that impacted me personally. And it is not a good look, as we say, for that to then give me something to care about because now it impacts my kids. And that opened up. And for hubris and humility, I had to realize, okay, 
we don't care, we don't talk about that that much on our community. Our people should be caring about this. And we have a huge lobbying block from, you know, a, a logistical voting perspective. And who can do things than mothers to kind of get things done? So that was one of the main reasons why we decided to start um, not talking about potty training and just focus on um, doing some political things and, and creating a movement within our own community. What about you, Robert? Why did this make sense to you? Um, yeah, I thought it was fake too. Yeah, <laughs> so let's let's say that I said, wait a minute. Have y'all listened to the podcast? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're right. Um, <laughs> and so I was intrigued after the initial doubt um, and then vetting out uh, the sources. Um, the law portion of this event actually intrigues me the most more than the interreligious dialogue. That's what I do every day. I love talking to people of different faiths and how can we make meaning in home together. That is something that I, that's my air and water. But the law dimension is very interesting to me, uh, particularly law students, because I wanted to be able to tell stories. I see myself, yes, I'm a theologian, but I tell stories and I weave together different stories. And I wanted to be able to show people and probably in a room that isn't very diverse in some ways, what my life is like, right? And so you see me and you see one thing, you also probably don't know that I'm disabled, right? And not knowing how does that impact how I move throughout the world? How does that impact my faith? And how does that impact uh, how I view the law, how I view law enforcement, being a black man who's disabled, right? So in one sense, you might see me as a man and I have a certain amount of privilege, but I'm also black and, right, and I'm also disabled, right? And so I wanted to be able to be with people who will have an impact on a variety of people. And I wanted to be able to tell a story. When you look at someone, what do you see? And are you curious enough to ask the questions uh, in order to make uh, sometimes life-changing um, decisions, right? So, yeah, that's for me. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so <laughs> um, it's funny. So we have a group chat, uh, Trey, Rob, and I. And when I think Rob saw the email first, or I don't know who, I don't remember who saw the email first. It was but, me. <laughs> but he hit the group chat quick. He's like, "Hey, uh, did y'all see this email?" <laughs> so we're look, we're looking at it, and you know, all three of us are looking at it, scanning it diligently and uh just to make sure like because you know if you have a podcast you probably get emails all the all time, time. Yeah. of people who want to be interviewed yes. or they want you to a like, lot of coaches right it just yes. seems most of it just seems a little sketchy yeah. um and so recently like those emails had been picking up so we diligently did our work um and i was really curious i there are um I think in many ways, I'm no different than many of you all, whereas you may not know much about my background and where I came from, but vice versa. Uh, I don't know much about the Mormon tradition. Um, I don't know much about the Muslim tradition, right? Uh, I don't know much about different religions. Uh, I know <laughs> what some circles would teach about different religions, which yeah. 
can be very damaging and harmful. Um, and those are the things that I want to release, right? Um, one of the things that, like, and we kind of just talked about <laughs> over there uh, is that this kind of being a labor of love, like, I really felt, I feel drawn by love, but drawn to love. Um, Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It's a lot easier to love people when you see them as human. Um, and as introverted as I am and as difficult it is, as it is sometimes for me to even be present, like in a room full of people just because of the social anxiety, um, it's been such a wonderful experience to be around so many people who are genuine in their um, in their desire to love other people. Um, that's one of that's that's probably what stood out to me the most here. And I'm so glad I came. That's ministered to me a lot um, because that's really how I desire to carry myself. That's how I desire to come across on a podcast. And honestly, like this is like those things are recorded. I, and I've said before, like that's a legacy that I want to leave for my kids, exactly. um, a legacy of loving people. Uh, so that's why I came. I'm glad I did. <laughs> OK, well, we have a, a couple of questions about audience. Um, we talked in the morning session about are you reaching the audience you thought you would? And who is your audience, et cetera, et cetera. And I kind of want to hear from you um, when you were going into this. What did you What did you think this would look like? Like when you like ideally we would do this thing for these people, and and has that changed as you reassess oh, um, over the longevity of your podcast? How is your idea of who you want to reach or or what it would mean to be successful in in terms of audience? How's that changed for you guys? Yes. Yeah, so for me, I did not go in with a certain amount of people that I wanted to reach. I, in my mind, I thought maybe 50 to 100 people would listen to this podcast max. But my marker and my metric for success was, are we having conversations that are generative? And if I can check that as yes, then even if 10 people are listening to that, it is a success. And so, yeah, more ten people have listened, and we have yeah, we have been having generative conversation. I listened this morning. Hey, thank you. Hey, uh, I'm gonna be listening to y'all podcasts. Uh, but I would I would say for me, this has been a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, I grew up very shy. I am still painfully shy, uh, but I have a public facing. Uh, profession now, right? And where I have to speak all the time. But uh, I failed every book report and speech <laughs> in life, right? I, all throughout uh, elementary, middle school, and college, I was so shy that I would just start crying when I would have to be in front of people, or even if there were two or three gathered together. <laughs> um, but so, no, this isn't what I thought when I was recording these conversations in my basement. Um, I didn't think so many thousands of people would be uh, blessed by our conversation. I would say something that shocked me about our audience was how many people who have been harmed by the faith started tuning into our conversations. And we would get all this feedback from people who said they hadn't been in uh, spiritual spaces in years because of harm, either uh, spiritual abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. And how many people found healing in our words. And I realized the power of telling your own story and opening up dialogue 
really can be healing for people. So I think our audience, it's so strange. Strange, We're all Christian, but we have a lot of Muslim listeners. We have a lot of people who are atheists, um, ex-evangelicals, all these different people that we did not intend to reach at all. Um, so I'm surprised by it. Yeah. yeah. Stable, what about you? So I think Uzma kind of hit the ball on the head this morning and saying we had an accidental audience. Um, but I want to backtrack a little bit because why we started the podcast. Um, my son was my oldest. So it's funny because we're, my kids are very ethnically mixed. And I, I love that in so many different ways. Um, and I have four kids from 20 to 10. Um, and people literally come up to us and say, are they from the same father? Like that, those are the types of conversations we have. And I'm like, yes, they are. But this is what happens when you mix a whole bunch of races together. You get this, a beautiful array. So my oldest is more of the, um, he looks like a Muslim man now, right? He's 6'3", he's, he's a big kid, looks like a Muslim man. The podcast started because he was profiled um, actually at the O'Hare Airport coming home from Chicago, going back to D.C. Um, and I was traveling without documents for him because I never had to do that at the age of 14. Um, and after about two and a half hours, I finally had to prove, and my husband's a lawyer, right? So he's like, do not get on a bus, do not go anywhere, do all these things. And I found that as a mother, I didn't have the answers for him as to, to why this was happening to him. He's like, I was listening, he had beats at the time. He's like, I'm just like a normal average kid because you have to realize Usman and I are the products of that um, immigrant generation, which happened in the 60s and the 70s. But our kids are what we are called a native born children. So they don't, they're even further removed from even the experiences Usman and I had growing up. So they don't understand these types of things. So that was, and I, in my quest in finding, trying to find the answers and recognizing there what there weren't any for our particular community, our, our set, there were a lot of Muslim men that had the mic telling us what to do as mothers without recognizing and without having the experiences that we as mothers have to have in holding our children that are being, going through these types of things. And, and my husband's very much involved, but there's a difference connection with your child, especially moms and their boys. Okay, I'm just going to say that. Um, though I am prepping him to have a good a relationship with his wife one day. So thank you to everyone can thank me later for that. Um, but the reality is that that was my audience. It's like, I want to help other Muslim moms going through this that didn't have the answers. Usman and I were a little bit further ahead, you know, than some of our, our, our counterparts. And we're like in the quest of finding the answers, we're going to interview all these amazing top people in our communities. And I am not kidding. We were cursed. We lost audio. We lost, and then and then that was our thing. That was our, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Then finally, we kind of had to do a reset and essentially said, what is God trying to tell us? And we can either fight against what it is that we want to do and what we're trying to do, or we can lean into it. So we decided to give the mic to normal, everyday, other American Muslim mothers instead of these big name people and have them tell their story. And in doing that, we were able to, to tap into an audience that 
could resonate with our normal everyday, like you go through that as well. Oh my God, I went through that. And so we took our, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, it was Miss the timeline person. She's like, we're going to write the notes and we're going to do this and recognize that God literally was like, jokes on you. That's not happening. And we've morphed this into opportunities for normal everyday. We're giving the mic to women that would normally be silenced. And in doing that, we've created a, a power for them. And that is what we've loved and enjoyed in, 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 in this journey. And in leaning into opportunities like this interfaith stuff, we kind of forest gumped our way here and forest gumped our way to other places. <laughs> like we speak at podcast conferences. We're like, why do you want us to speak? And we're, we're the nor- only non, you know, white. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's why. But if this creates an opportunity for other people watching us to be like, if you guys can do it, we can do it as well. So our, our intended audience, what ended up happening and how we've had to pivot over time I really think is it's God's plan. And that is why we keep doing the work that we're doing. Yeah, so I, I would say uh, when we first start, started Three Black Men, I, I definitely didn't have um, the audience in mind that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I, I just being honest, I thought that we would appeal to more uh, black people. Uh, and that didn't happen. <laughs> It didn't happen, and 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 we were okay with that, um, and I think eventually we found ourselves at a place. Eventually, we felt like we had to reset a little bit because we wanted to make sure that we were being true to ourselves, despite like didn't matter who the audience is. Are we being true to ourselves? Is this conversation Trey, Rob, and Sam coming to the table, or is this Trey, Rob, and Sam that we think that they want to see? Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So we had our reset. And I th- that was probably like between season one, season two, or something yeah. like that. Um, when we we really had that, and it was weird because we so we started the podcast. We we told people we told people that we were starting the podcast, and so there was an anticipation amongst probably about 15, 20, maybe thirty people. Uh, and so we knew like okay, well, they're if nobody listens, they're gonna listen. And it's almost like after we did that reset to say, you know what, let's make sure we're being. Sam, we're being Trey, we're being the three black men that we started out to be. That's almost when kind of we, we started kind of taking off a little bit. Um, and I felt like for me, that's when I just didn't care what the audience was. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter who listens. I, our first audience is us because it's our conversation. We, we're coming to the table to discuss our perspective on this issue. Um, and so... We just wanted to make sure we kept that forefront. And so I, now for me, um, I love to see the growth. Um, but I I I don't I, I I couldn't imagine, I'll say this, I couldn't imagine a better audience. I feel like we have a wonderful community of people that consistently consistently listen to us, but also they support us in several different ways. Um, whether that be financially or just checking in on us. Uh, so there, there's an actual community there. So um, I couldn't imagine this audience demographically, but also in the way that they care and love us. I couldn't imagine that. So I, this is I'm really interested in this idea of community, and I want to pick up on that. And and one of the things I'm hearing is that the communities don't look like anything that you mm-hmm. thought they would look like, mm-hmm. and in fact are more diverse and varied oh, yes. than you could have imagined. Mm-hmm. And so when we kind of 
pour that back into the question of podcasting creating religious communities, uh, you know, ultimately it seems like you guys are saying, um, you know, that the community is even more spectacular than you would have thought. But here's my question. What does the community, how do you know it's a community? You talked about them supporting you, but I feel like the community will also go sort of laterally. Maybe that's not the word I want, but they would support each other. There would be ways for them to interact with each other. So do you see that? Are there these opportunities? So so you're trying to say from like, okay, so... uh, this is where the business stuff of podcasting, so people are, that are interested in starting a podcast, one of the things from a, a marketing perspective is um, creating a place where your audience members can go later and talk about the episodes. So Usman and I created um, a Mommy While Muslim group on Facebook. I know we're old, okay, but moms are on Facebook. Um, and we like to talk there and post our pictures, and that's what we're going to do. So, um, and we have, so it was started off with a couple hundred, and we have a couple thousand now. And um, and it was, and it's very diverse. We have, we, Uzma is the one who accepts people into the group, and she's very careful about not accepting men into the group. I think she let my brother in, maybe... He's allowed some other people, but mostly men are not allowed because she wanted to create a safe space for women. But we have non-Muslims, Muslims. We have people, women that are not even mothers that are in our group. Um, And we have amazing conversations like some. And it's like we don't even really do much. It's other people that are coming in and asking questions. So that's a tangible representation of creating a community. Um, Obviously, we do. um, We have a woke book club. So where we interview um, women of um, minority women that have written books and we read them and we talk about them and we allow our, our audience to come into the Zoom rooms and ask the questions of the uh, of the authors um, that they wouldn't be able to do. So we've created, I think, these types of events. Um, so from a marketing perspective, creating events like that to kind of engage with your audience. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, do that. Um, just because we get a lot of our feedback um, we accept it. They're like, oh, we didn't like when you did blah, blah, blah. Apparently I, because I'm shy as well, I hate doing social media. Um, and I hate looking at the camera while we're talking. And so we get a lot of that feedback. Like, yeah. David doesn't yeah. look at the camera. I'm like, that's because I'm having a conversation with the other person. So my point is those types of groups really help um, with the content. It's a tangible representation of actually um, creating the community. And we've had people, um, and not to toot our own horns, that have needed help um, financially. Um, and we connect them because now we've interviewed probably thousands of hours and hundreds and hundreds of people. So if depending on what the need is, we can be like, okay, you're here in this area. This is a person who, we've gotten people out of domestic abuse. So that's how I feel we've created that community. Um, And again, we don't talk about it much, but we're able to connect with different people just through the guests that we've had on the show. So I want to put a couple of things together here, and I want to then ask you a question. So bear with me. This might be a long Dr. Bigley spiel. Okay. So I'm hearing, like you mentioned, that you have a lot of listeners who've experienced religious trauma Mm -hmm. and are showing up at the podcast. You at the break mentioned you had your own experience of leaving a physical church Mm -hmm. for very particular reasons, but still wanting to find a physical church. You're talking about safe spaces. If podcasts are successful at making community, 
what advice can they offer those brick and mortar institutions? Yes. Ooh, look at you asking. Come you on, ready? Doctor. You ready for it? <laughs> <laughs> what advice can we offer those brick and mortar institutions about building community? And one thing I hear is um, when feedback is given, you take it. Listen to the feedback. That that might be one thing I'm hearing. What are other things? And I really want to write them down on the board because I, I used to be a professor, yeah. but it's okay. We won't do it. Yeah, I think we can learn a lot from, you know, these digital spaces, right? I think something when I hear, um, I'm always saddened when I hear uh, religious institutions or churches, whatever, and leaders feel taken aback by feedback. Mm -hmm. They don't like to hear stories of spiritual abuse. I hear pastors and leaders all the time say, well, that's not all of us. Yeah. Well, it's enough of you yeah, exactly. <laughs> where there's a lot of harm being compounded in our world. And I think the advice I would give to people is, one, I think what spirituality does is it binds people together and it promises them some specific things that when not... Uh, rightfully done, it creates harm. So when we draw people together, you know, it's, have you ever gotten um, a job and the first thing your boss says, we're like a family here. Mm -hmm. Number one, run. Because yeah. <laughs> that's about to be the worst job of your life. Um, um, you are about to go through it. Um, seriously. Um, but also faith spaces, when they say we're a family, what does that mean to you? Yeah. When you say we're a community here, uh, how, do you treat how do you treat your family, yeah. right? Like we're a family here. And so I think what I would advise people is be intentional with the type of language that you use. Yes. Have on ramps where people can engage you in dialogue and feedback. Um, we have these platforms where uh, we have something called Patreon, yes. where we have these subscribers who they come, they give us all kinds of feedback on there. They like, to, yeah, I'm like, well, I, I didn't want all this community. Um, this is too much. Um, but Patreon is a way where people offline can say, this is the way your words impacted me. Yes. I didn't like this. This was ableist. This hurt me. Have you thought about women who have been abused? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I didn't know that when I said it, right? Or, um, and we also have newsletters. Uh, each of us have newsletters. Uh, Trey has one called The Sun Do Move. And I have one, Musings from a Broken Heart, where people come and they tell me all types of things, right? So I, I think I would just say create on-ramps for people to tell their stories. Yeah. Sam, you had said at the break that you are actively looking for a physical church. And then, in fact, you love, uh, you said it multiple times, I love church. I so what is it that you love that, that you want to be a part of that kind of institution at the same time you don't feel like you're quite finding it? Yeah, so um, I love the aspect of having a tangible community. Um, like the online community is great, right? We have amazing supporters. Um, but sometimes I need a hug. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just need a hug sometimes. Um, I have children, right? Like, I do the best that I can to rear them. But also, they, I, I would love for them to have a space where they can feel safe. Um, 
those things are important to me. Uh, I'm married to a black woman, right? Um, I think black women are probably the most marginalized people (laughs) in America, right? Like I would love a space for her to feel like she can be heard where she could be seen um, and not have to deal with some of the different microaggressions she'd have have to deal with day to day at work um, or just existing. Uh, So I love the church. I love the community aspect. I love... I love the idea of people gathering and just feeling loved, feeling seen. Um, this has like really been a, a cool experience. Yeah. This has been different from church, mm-hmm. but the the communal aspect that I've felt just from talking to different people has ministered to me. Those things, those different meaningful interactions, um, those are the things that I can't get at home. Yeah. Um, and as introverted as I am, those are also the things that I desire. Uh, so just feeding a desire um, that I feel like only God can feel in a certain way. Yeah. Um, and I believe that's through community. Uh, so that's, yeah. Okay. What else would you add to this, Deva? So I had a very different experience because I was somebody um, who suffered from spiritual sexual abuse from people that were supposed to protect you. Um, there was a huge case in Chicago, and I was part of, of, of that, unfortunately. So I'd, and I consider myself um, unmasked. Um, and I'm unmasked for a variety of reasons, uh, albeit for for a lot of the physical things that had happened, and I didn't necessarily feel safe for my children to to be put into that. However, I never lost, I never, I, I was, I knew enough to know that it wasn't related to the religion, that it was, and not even the institution, it was a couple of crazy people that used their power, you know, to do bad things. Um, so I had enough forethought, forethought for that. So for me, I don't necessarily need the physical, and and because I think I was biracial, so I was never really accepted in any community. Um, being biracial in the 70s and 80s was not a fun thing to be, um, so I was not accepted by the white community or the Indopac community, so it was just kind of like whatever, we're just here. So I have really focused on um, creating that space for my um, my nuclear family. Um, so is it lonely and sad? At times, people just assume I get invited to so many things and I, they're like, oh, you must go to so many iftars, which is like the breaking of our fast. I'm like, I don't get invited to any of them because I don't have that concept of community. Am I looking for that? Yes. Do I personally think I'm going to find it? I don't think so. Um, so, uh, and that's just me. So, in not knowing that, I want to create that. And if and and we're moving to more in-person events because that was something we really wanted to do. So we've moved over to retreats, and we get a lot of positive feedback. So we are doing those types of things to create a sense of like taking your online community and making it. Um, an in-person community, because if it's not there, you need to build it. Um, and we have a huge problem in the Muslim community because they don't listen. It's run by, we call them the uncle generation, um, that are not willing to step down and let the next generation come forward. So the advice that I would give is let the next generation, and it's not our generation, it's our kids' generation. And in giving and empowering them to do that, you will be surprised by how much change and positive impact there'll be, but you need to be humble and 
humility, we have the concept of the nafs, which is the ego. You need to get rid of the ego and let that next generation come forward. And that's where we, that's where we are as a community. Um, and that's what I'm hopeful for in building that next generation. Well, I want to thank all of you for being vulnerable. I really appreciate that. I didn't expect to hear some of the things you shared about yourselves, and I appreciate you doing that with us. Um, we have about 10 minutes left, and I just wanted to open it up. If there are questions that other people have or want to ask, now is the time. Hi. My daughter has a podcast. Yay. And has a great audience. She's a over 100 episodes. Yeah, she's really into it. Hey. But there's certain people out there in the world that tend to be, I guess they call them trolls. <laughs> the trolls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the most amazingly Terrible things, and we'll say that yeah. you know, one of you is just another, you know, yeah. they're saying some nice religious things. And so, you know, she'll just delete them or do things. But I was curious how, you know, you're informed by all the good, positive things you receive from your audience. But how do you deal with these kind of trolls? We have a designated troll handler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your Trey, Trey, a troll handler. Trey handles all of our trolls with class and dignity, uh, and we couldn't be more proud. Um. <laughs> no, uh, laughing, but honestly, seriously. like I, I, that would be our answer. Is sometimes, depending on your personality, that might not be your daughter's personality. Is one that can combat that. I think out of the three of us, Trey um, is the is the bulldog for us. Um, because I'll just block them, but Trey handles it. Yeah. And I think in your pocket. Uh, so I say it was supposed to the troll handler, but honestly, what I would say to your daughter and what I would say to my own daughter is what somebody else thinks about you is none of your business. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. What they say doesn't impact you. And if that, if what she's doing um, excites her and ignites her to do something, regardless of whether people believe it or not, that's what she should be doing. And don't care what any, you know, we've had so many people, I don't wear hijab. Um, you don't even want to know how many times people have said, like, if I got into every single time somebody started saying, like, I would be there all day. And I'm just like, I just can't care enough yeah. Yeah. about what you have to say about me for it to warrant my time. Yeah. And a lot of them are like little teen boys in like foreign countries, to be honest with you, that are just, they think they know better than we do. And we're just like, it's a, you could sit down, go talk to your mom and we'll figure it out. So that's, so you can have two different philosophies. So depending on her person, I'm the personality that says, let it go. Yeah. But if you feel like you need to do it or you need to um, take that as an opportunity to educate them in some way, provide them with some resource. Like if you had to do that, provide them with a resource, do something, go look here. But it's not, her care what somebody yeah. else thinks about her. I, I would add uh, that she should prioritize her mental health on yes. that. Because, like, my bandwidth for that is way beneath Trey's, which is why I don't. I don't and do I'll just her. block him. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Rob. That. He'll just yeah. block him. We just don't have the energy for that. It yeah. takes so much courage and faith and hope to, to get in front of a mic and to put, you know, to put ourselves out there anyway. Um, so criticism is going to come. Yeah. Regardless of what you can say, the sky is blue, and somebody's gonna criticize that on what kind of blue it is. So it was gray this morning. Though. You see, yeah. people will argue over a stick. <laughs> you see, you see, see how it is. No, but yeah. So I mean, shout out to her. I hope she's encouraged. But yeah. just you can't really pay attention to that. That's yeah. 
And somebody needs to hear her voice. Yeah. yeah. Yes. There's one person, even if it's one person, needs to hear what she has to say. And that should be good enough to keep moving forward. Uh, yeah. So you touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, I think all religions are suffering. Mm-hmm. What do you do? How are you guys? Yeah, it's tough. Beautiful. I have a daughter who is doesn't believe God anymore. Yeah. I have every one of my friends, one to all of their children. I've all of them are the, yes. What do we do? So I could first of all, I want to say I get it. We've all been there, and when you are a faith-based person. The only thing you want and you hope for is that your family follows you to that faith, right? Like that is the number one thing as a parent, regardless of what that religion is, um, is having the faith. There are statistics right now that uh, the youth were the most depressed, the most anxious, the most using substance abuse, they're drinking the most of any generation that came before them. Do you wanna know what the number one reason why is their lack of faith? their lack of believing in something bigger than who they are. And in, in, in not having that belief system is creating all these incidental issues. How they got there, there's a whole variety of, uh, of studies right now. Like my particular um, area of study is the combating intergenerational trauma. Um, that's what I do for, for um, my clients particularly. Wh- whether we wanna admit it or not, we as parents, have facilitated some part of that. So knowing that and acknowledging that is something that we should start off with, right? And that's the truth of it. We can't go and be like, I did everything the best that I can and yet my kids start, like there's a reason why these kids are leaving organized religions in droves. The other thing is there's access to so much information. And from a a cognitive um, issue with these children, they don't have the ability to compartmentalize, to file things away, to think critically. They, they won't do that till they're 24, 25, 26 years old. That's, that's neuroscience, right? That's not even just, oh, I wish they would know. No, men in particular, no offense to men, boys are stupid yeah. until they're 25. Sorry. It's, it's later, it's not just and, and like yeah, 30. They're well, starting yeah, yeah, to yeah, have like glimpses, 30, 30, 30. and yeah, that yeah. is the truth. Yeah. And, and our women, our, our girls, are, impact, are being impacted by that as well. And I'm a mother of three boys, so I, I get it. And my kids are going on their own spiritual journey. They've told me. We are open with that. I'm not saying this is the right answer, but we're very open with that. We didn't shun them. We're like, okay, this is the conversation we're gonna start having. And you're going to feel uncomfortable. But the reality is if, if you believe something, you at some point had to learn and go through a journey to get there your kids have to go through that own journey. Yeah. And honestly, it has nothing to do with you. Yeah, I, I think what I would say as far as my work with uh, the youth, something that I'm trying to really help people understand is that their questions are valid yes. and their wrestles are valid. Mm-hmm. And I think I would almost say it this way. It's not even, people are leaving institutional yes. spaces but a lot of them aren't leaving faith. They just don't know how that faith yeah. 
reconciles yeah. with the world that they live in. Yes. And so yes. to Zeba's point, the pain that people are experiencing is real. Yeah. Yeah. People are wrestling with homophobia. Mm -hmm. People yeah. are wrestling with, you know, I had a young man ask me actually, I, he, he told me I'm a, I'm a gay young man, does God hate me? Right. And that really hurt me because he was crying and he said, I wanna love God. Yes. I just don't know what God thinks about me. Yes. And so I think what I have really tried to connect for people is, hey, it's okay to ask these faith questions. Mm -hmm. And even if you leave that institutional space, I want you to know you can have a faith that is meaningful for yes. you, right? And so it's not often, people still have faith. They just don't know the image that we're presenting to them. And so our work is to pivot, to allow these questions and pain stories to come mm -hmm. forward. Right. Yeah. In our own journeys, right? Like yeah. I went through that and now I'm here and Absolutely. this is a good example. I think Zayla hit it on the head earlier when she said they have their own walk. Yes. Um, I, I don't even want to like guess or or try to like play chess mentally with one, but I can speak for me from, from my context. I was raised in church. Um, my dad has always been an elder in church. My uncle was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. My mom was a musician. I followed her and I was also a musician in church. Later on became a youth pastor, but not before my knucklehead stage, right? So like we, people are where they are. And I think the beauty of the gospel is that of the, uh, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I'm, I can only speak from the Christian. The, the beauty of the, of the gospel is that Jesus meets you where you are. Um, and I, 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 I would dare say that would be true for any it religion mm -hmm. that, that God meets you where you are. Um, and that can be frightening as a parent where our kids are mm -hmm. and in this time and space, it can be frightening, um, for their future. Um, but I think, uh, we were talking earlier, faith is not absent of doubt, yes. right? Like the absence of faith is the absence of hope. Yes. Um, I don't necessarily believe that a denial of God verbally is a denial of God functionally. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. I don't remember an exact moment where I felt saved, right? Where I felt like this is it, I'm going to heaven. But if I look back over my life, I can see God holding me in his hand and in, in every area of my life, provi providentially guiding me. Um, and so I think it's her, it's, it's, it would be your, your daughter's journey, but also your journey, your faith journey as well. Yes. Um, and so I would say be encouraged with that um, and, and lean, into, lean into community, lean into where your faith lies um, and just trust God on it. And love your daughter. Absolutely. And love her. Love anyway. her. Love her. We're going to close. Thank you for asking those questions, and hopefully we have some time to chat individually. Uh, round of applause. For the I almost I said it in the middle. And I was like, oh, I can't say that right now. <laughs> I took a picture and had to send it to my wife. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Father's Day.